Welcome to Canaan Bound Podcast, episode 32. I'm Kyle, a member of Christ Lutheran Church, a Wells congregation in Eden Prairie. To begin with, we have Canaan Bound Devotions with Pastor Tom Barthel. God gives a new name. Genesis 17, 1 to 8. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan Where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. I will be their God. We return to the scene of Abram's life as a father, a husband who has seemingly greatly upset his wife, though he only followed her plan, and a man who is wondering when God will act on his promises. Ishmael is now thirteen, And it is going on now nearly a quarter of a century since God first appeared to Abram. But he still hasn't seen the promises fulfilled. He has only been brought up and led along to a point of further possibility of any fulfillment. He only had reason to look up at God in anger and confusion. Though it appears Abram isn't too far off from the time when mankind was able to live for hundreds of years, that time has passed. At 99 years old, he was, as Paul says, as good as dead and his wife was now 89 years old. She was well beyond the normal years for childbirth. But we see Abram face down in worship. How could he not be in all humility before God? After all, who gave this promise? God Almighty, El Shaddai, the God who is all-powerful. To impress on Abram the promise, he is now given a new name, which will remind him and all after him of the promise which God gave. Abram would be the father of many nations. Abram, great father. Abraham, father of many. What about the whole idea that God would give to Abram's descendants the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession? Did God back down on his promise? He said he would give them the land and he would be their God. He didn't say anything about Abram's descendants never rejecting that gift. They did. But Abram had more than just physical descendants through Ishmael and Isaac. Abram's offspring are people from all nations who, like him, trust in the promises of God. And he will forever be our God and give us an eternal possession by his grace, along with the faithful remnant of Israel. One is reminded of Jesus as saying, Who are my mother and my brothers? And pointing to those who are born again through faith as belonging to the family of God. If you get a chance, read the awesome truth presented in Psalm 87. This one 
was born in Zion. About other nations, such as Philistia and Babylon, having people who are born again as children of God, people of Abraham's descent. This one, too, born in Zion. Consider all the promises in which God says that he will draw all nations to Israel for worship. These are spiritually Israel, the people who in God's great grace receive his promised gift of life. And it is you who believe, who belong to the father of many. From Abram would come kings like Saul, David, and Solomon. But from Abram would come the king of us all. God Almighty took on human flesh, according to his human nature, a descendant of Abraham. He gave us all possession of a land we do not deserve, his promised new heaven and earth. God has given you his name. He pictures his heavenly rest with the same words given here. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Up next, we have Not Unto Us by Branches Band. This is from a new album, Crown Him King, which was just released in June 2013. Your 
Next, we have God's Word for You with Pastor Tim Smith. God's Word for You, Job 9, verses 21 to 24. Although I am blameless, this is Job speaking, although I am blameless, I have no concern for myself. I despise my own life. It is all the same. That is what I say. That is why I say he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. When a scourge brings sudden death, he mocks the despair of the innocent. When does God destroy both the blameless and the wicked? Certainly in death, but death is the result of sin in the world, and no one has the power over the day of his death. But there are other times when God permits both the good and the wicked to suffer the same fate, and that's in a storm. The tornado and the hurricane and the earthquake hit everyone, and Job is calling this unfair. But God tells us that such things don't happen for the same reason. God doesn't let the tornado hit the unbeliever's house and the believer's house to accomplish the same purpose. For the unbeliever, this is a judgment and a call to repentance. For the believer, this is a test. If we're worried about how we'll hold up under God's tests, all we need to do is test ourselves by examining our lives. That's what uh, Jeremiah says in Lamentations 3, where we see weakness, we ask God's forgiveness and guidance, and we turn to his sacrament for strength and for forgiveness. Verse 24, when a land falls into the hands of the wicked, he blindfolds its judges. If it is not he, then who is it? Job's question hangs out in the open there, doesn't it? Who is it? If there is no God out there at all, Job is saying, then does fate do all these things? If God in heaven hasn't done this, then has Satan done it? Like his friends, Job is not taking God's motives into account. He can't imagine that he might be tested and that his test might not really be about him at all, but about someone else. It's possible that one person might be tested by God and suffer terrible things in order to impact the faith of another person altogether. This is what happened to Joseph when he was sold into slavery and was taken from Canaan to Egypt. God's purpose in letting a 17-year-old boy suffer like that was to provide a way to rescue the boy's family, more than 70 people in all, from a famine that was on the way. Joseph himself said, Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, he told this to his brothers in chapter 45, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. God permitted Naomi to suffer the loss of everything she had, her property, her homeland, her husband, even her two sons, so that she could bring her Moabite daughter-in-law, Ruth, to live in the town of Bethlehem to remarry and become the ancestor of David and Jesus. And Jesus himself suffered the agony of hell and was tested in every way, but that testing was for our benefit so that the sinless Son of God could rescue the sinful world. We praise God constantly for Jesus' life, suffering, death, and resurrection. When God permits us to suffer a little, but for the benefit of someone else, we should praise him then, too. When we find ourselves wringing our hands, we only need to clasp them together in prayer to ask for God's help and strength. He will give us what we need, and he will guide us wherever we go. In Christ, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. This is God's Word for you. Next, we have another Canaan-bound devotion with Pastor Tom Barthel. The Covenant of Circumcision, Genesis 17, 9-14 Then God said to Abram, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. 
This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you must be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not of your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant. It marked the males in Israel as those who belonged to Israel and shared in the covenant. What made it so special? The removal of the male foreskin was not unique to Israel in ancient times. Other ancient cultures also practiced it for either medical or ritual purposes. Nor was the idea of making a covenant unique to Abram or a unique thing between just God and Israel. Other nations had covenants commonly made between one party and another. Both circumcision and covenants were practiced in ancient times. But God chose not to have his covenant with them by having a sign of the covenant written on tablets, but on human flesh. And certainly it would have been a constant reminder to the men of Israel how the curse of sin, which is passed on at conception, would be overturned when God removed sin by the one to be born in Israel. This is the only thing that actually made circumcision special. God had revealed his word, made a promise. The sons of Israel were never to forget that truth. God has given us a covenant. He says he is our God. We belong to him. Of course, Israel didn't keep this covenant. Some of the greatest figures in ancient Israel history even struggled with it too. God took it very seriously when Moses himself nearly dies because he neglected the covenant of circumcision with his own children. So why aren't pastors and teachers in the Christian church teaching that all men must be circumcised on the eighth day or forfeit belonging to God? Circumcision was given for the people of Israel for all the generations between Abram and the Christ. When Christ came, he fulfilled God's law as the mediator of a greater covenant. Just read through Acts 15 and see what the early church decided regarding circumcision, knowing that Christ had come. And look through the book of Galatians if you wonder why we don't demand circumcision anymore. It's the same reason we don't demand Sabbath day observance, sacrifices, and the high priestly office. Jesus has come as the great high priest. The rest we have is not based on Sabbath observance. The sacrificial system is met, its purpose and end. The temple is no more. All those things were for the people of Israel as a nation, which God had chosen to usher in the Messiah and proclaim him to the world. Just as Jesus has done the sacrifice, just as Jesus gives us the ultimate rest, he also has given us a circumcision, not done by human hands, but of the heart and by God. Paul was not making an outlandish or bold statement, but a spiritual truth when he told the New Testament church, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Our covenant seal is baptism. It is a reminder 
of a real change in status, which also took place for us. In Colossians 2 we read, In him you also were circumcised, in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. Finally, we dare not forget the point made by Paul in Romans 4. Was it before he was circumcised, or after, that God counted Abraham as righteous? It was before, and it was not by works, but through faith. It is the same with you and me. It is not a covenant we kept, but which Christ kept in our stead. Our rest is secure. You belong to God. Up next is Freedom in Christ with Pastor Mark Falk. Galatians 2, 1-5 Spies Fourteen years later I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. Uh, NIV 1984 Here Paul speaks of his first visit to Jerusalem and his meeting with church leaders, apostles, there. Nothing in these verses should be seen as disrespectful to these godly men, the chosen vessels of the living water. They preached the good news that the Old Testament of their God, they were all Jews, had been fulfilled in the Messiah. They knew who the Messiah was, Jesus. They were not the first to recognize this. Before the twelve there was Simeon, and Anna in the temple on the day that his mother fulfilled the law by presenting herself for purification after the birth of a child. It is not that sex or the fruit of sex children are sinful in themselves, but in a sinful world the gift of God now produces sinners. Purification recognized this, but Mary did not produce a sinner. Through the Holy Spirit, Mary's child is the sinless and eternal Son of God, now also wearing human flesh. He has already shed his first blood. He was circumcised on the eighth day, fulfilling the agreement that God established with Abraham. In a real sense, he was the last one who would need to do this. Of course, it would take 33 years of obedience to the law and then death under the law for sin as the ultimate scapegoat and sin offering before circumcision would officially become obsolete. The apostles knew that the old covenant established by God, was obsolete. It is entirely possible, if not probable, that they continued in some of the old worship, but, and this is a big but, they now saw all the daily and yearly sacrifices and festivals as shadows of the Messiah. Paul will write about this to the Colossians, see chapter 3 there. Even two of the centerpieces of the law that separated God's 
Old Testament people from the unbelieving pagans of Canaan. Even the Sabbath and circumcision are now relics in a sense. They have served their purpose. They have pointed to the Messiah, to Christ. Christ has come. Done. Note well, all the pillars of the church who lived in Jerusalem agreed with Paul. In working with the Gentiles, circumcision was a non-factor. Titus, a Gentile traveling with Paul, was not compelled to go back to the Old Covenant. He was living under the New. He was not only freed from guilt and sin through the holy life and precious death of God the Son on the cross. He was freed from the heavy burden of law that God had laid on the Old Testament people, laid on them to keep them separate from, separate from the godless tribes around them. Now, to the spies. They claimed faith in Jesus as Messiah. But they spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. The central issue, it is not enough to believe in Jesus. A believer must also obey the law of Moses. This is a striking thought, that making New Testament believers obey Old Testament laws and use Old Testament ceremonies is slavery. God has set us free from law, all law, as far as our salvation is concerned. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. As New Testament believers, we must resist, even to the point of death, the confusing of law with gospel. Law condemns sin. Law demands love. Gospel supplies a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Our love, which God still demands under law, does not fill out the gospel. We are not saved by faith and love, even though faith always works love in believing hearts. We saved only by faith, only by Christ. Let us be vigilant in keeping, vigilant in keeping spies from stealing our freedom in Christ. Let us cling to the cross and empty tomb, and these alone, we are free. We'll end today with a song called Take Heart, written and performed by Joshua Bushkopf. Till the end of the year 
I know my shepherd loves his sheep And still I have this promise His plans for me are good And every promise that he makes he keeps That's why he came in love Just to bear my sin Then he conquered death when he rose again. So my fight goes on, but the victory's won. My Savior says he has overcome. He says, take heart, I have listening to Canaan Bound Podcast, episode 32. This podcast was first shared in July of 2013. Thanks again to the artists who shared their music with us this week. To find out more about Branches Band's new album, Crown Him King, visit branchesband.com or find links to this artist and others at canaanboundpodcast.com. Once again, my name is Kyle. It was a privilege to be your host for this episode. We encourage you to visit wells.net to find a Wells ministry location near you. Thanks for listening.